Well, welcome. Or should I say, ahoy. I know that was bad, that was bad, but I had to do it at least one time in this series. Well, we're back for the second installment of Oceans of Grace, Oceans of Grace, our, our latest teaching series. We're diving into the Old Testament book of Jonah. And if you have a Bible or a Bible app at the ready, would y'all meet me there? Find Jonah chapter 2. That's where we're going to set up shop today. We're going to venture out and look at a couple of other verses as well, but, but this is going to be our primary text. Now, as you're navigating there, allow me to set things up for us to recap where we've been so far. Maybe you were not here for the first week, or maybe you could use a refresher on what we talked about in part one. The story begins with God sending a prophet by the name of Jonah to his enemies living in a city called Nineveh. Now, I want you all to pause right there and imagine, imagine that God sends you with a message of reconciliation and forgiveness and second chances to people who have done you wrong. What do you do with that? I don't need you to answer it. I just need you to think on that. That's what's happening here. And come to mention it, God does call us to do that. You remember what Jesus said? Love your enemies. Pray for those who hurt you, who use you. Bless them. We're Jonah, church. We're Jonah. The mission, in Jonah's case, is to warn the inhabitants of Nineveh of coming judgment. Your day is coming, your day of reckoning. God is going to judge you. He, he doesn't like what he sees, and he's reached his limit. He can't allow this to continue on the same trajectory you are on. Judgment is coming. And if you want an opportunity to change... Here it is. Jonah does not much like that idea of preaching forgiveness to his enemies, and so he runs away. He boards a ship. He sets sail in the opposite direction. Have you ever done this? God, I know what you're calling me to do, and I don't like it, so I'm going to go in a different direction. I'm going to go the other way. Out at sea, God sends a violent storm. After trying everything else that they can think of to save the ship, the crew confronts Jonah. Right? This isn't going to end well. We're going down. What have you done? Why is this happening to us? He admits that he's running away from God and proceeds to tell them that the only way out is to throw him overboard. 
Left with no other options, the sailors do just that. They give him the heave-ho, over the side he goes. The storm calms instantly, and they are overwhelmed and amazed by this demonstration of God's power. Meanwhile, Jonah sinks beneath the waves. And where we pick up the story is the part that everybody knows. Right? Even if you know nothing else about the book of Jonah, you probably know this part. God sends a huge fish to swallow him. Now, I do not know which is worse. Drowning at sea or being consumed by a massive fish. I mean, that's a toss-up for me, right? And, and apparently, this is a possibility. Uh, just, just recently, I was reading an article about a diver who was swallowed by a humpback whale and lived to, to tell about it. All right, so if you're ever out at sea, know that this is a possibility. It's not probable, but the chances are never zero that you will be swallowed by a large aquatic animal. Now, just try to imagine this with me, would you? You're sinking into the dark depths. Your arms and legs are flailing, your, your heart's pounding in your chest, your lungs are burning, your life is flashing before your eyes, and you're thinking, this is a really bad day. And then you look and see a very large open mouth swimming toward you. Oh, great, this day just got worse. And yet surprisingly, surprisingly and significantly, the story transitions from that terrifying experience to a prayer. Chapter 2 records Jonah's words as he cries out to God. And, and, and church, there is so much for us here. I hope you all came ready today. To preface this, we're going to take things a bit out of order, okay? We're not going to follow the, the chronological sequence. We're going to unpack the prayer first. And then come back to the part about the fish. So we'll save the best for last, right? So here we go. Jonah chapter 2, starting at verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Let's pause right there. Are you real with God? Are you real with God? Jonah finally prays. I say finally because up to this point in the story, there is no evidence of a conversation with God. Remember who this is. This is a prophet. This is an individual who is supposed to be in constant communication with God. But there's no evidence of a conversation. In fact, it's just the opposite. God speaks, and Jonah runs. In the middle of the storm at sea, the sailors tell Jonah, pray to whatever God it is you worship. We've all got different ones. That changes, by the way. Pray to your God, and maybe he will save us. And yet the record is silent. Jonah doesn't speak. There's no indication that he does pray. And listen, he's not just running from this particular preaching assignment in Nineveh. He's running from his life as a prophet, from, from his life as a worshiper of God. How do we know that? Because he books a one-way cruise to a place where people don't worship God. 
This is far afield. This is, this is far away from the community that devotes themselves to the worship of God. This is a place where the noise of culture will drown out God's voice. Jonah doesn't want to hear from God. Jonah doesn't want to hear about God. He's not about to pray. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been where, where Jonah is? Whatever the circumstance, you're, you're hurt, you're angry, you're confused, and you blame God. God, why didn't you? God, how could you? God, why would you allow this to happen in my life? Why wouldn't you fix this? I believe that you can, but you didn't. You don't. So why? So you stop praying. You stop reading the Bible. Stop going to church. Stop showing up for community. You run in the opposite direction. Friends, believe me when I tell you that is the worst thing that you can do. It's the worst thing you can do. See, we have this misconception sometimes that we're not allowed to be real with God. Have you, have you ever thought this? Like, I can be frustrated with God. I can be upset with God, but I can't tell him that. Listen, church, the truth is that God invites us into authentic relationships. Scripture is full of examples, particularly the Psalms, where there is raw, transparent, emotional dialogue with God. And if there's a trend, I think it's this. The people who are the most honest are the people who seem to have the healthiest, most thriving relationships with God. Y'all remember David? The guy that we spent like a year with going through his story. David wrote a lot of psalms. David was really honest with God. He poured his heart out to God. He, he put it all on the table. And what does scripture say about him? He was a man after God's own heart. Let me let, me let you in on a little something. God already knows what you're thinking. God already knows what you're feeling. You're angry, you're upset, you're confused, you're frustrated. He knows that. He knows that. And he's big enough to handle that. Don't be like Jonah and wait until you're here to do something about that. Don't be like Jonah and wait until your back is against the wall to pray. Start now. Start that conversation, friend. Just, just be real. If you don't know what to say, just, just say what's on your heart. Say what's on your mind. Be real with God because he's listening. He's listening. Now, I don't know if you caught this or not, but take a second look at that verse. Jonah prays from where? Inside the fish. He prays inside the fish. And, and, and this is what makes it so incredible how he prays. 
How he prays. These verses that follow are a song. So just try to imagine this with me. Right? If I'm in the digestive tract of a very large aquatic animal, I don't think I'm pausing to write a song. Let me grab my guitar that's not with me and strum a chord. Who will believe my tale? That I was swallowed by a whale. God said go to Nineveh. Never mind, nothing rhymes with Nineveh. Can't. This, this is just, it seems so out of place. But here's what we need to know. In Hebrew culture, poetry is considered the height of human expression. Okay, so, so if something is worth saying, you say it in verse. You say it with lyrics. You say it through poetry. Translation, this is really important. What, what follows, what comes next is a big deal. And what is it? Have a look. Verse 9. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Scholars study the form of this psalm, and they identify it as a a psalm of thanksgiving. That's a very specific type, a very specific genre of song that praises God for rescuing you. So so don't miss this. Jonah is writing worship music while he's still in the fish. He's not out yet. He's still there. Why is that? Because he didn't expect to make it this far. It's clear from the context of chapter one. Jonah thought he's a goner. The crew on the ship thought he's a goner. Like this is where it ends. Just imagine how unsatisfying that narrative line, that that, that plot line would be, right? Go to Nineveh, Jonah. No, I'm getting on a boat. In comes the storm, over goes Jonah. The end. That's what they thought. That's not where the story ends. It's, it's, it's not where it ends. Jo- Jonah thought he was, he was a goner, he was going to drown, except he didn't because God sent a fish. So even though he's not on land, even though he's still somewhere out at sea inside this, this nasty whale, smelly whale, he's grateful. He's grateful. Before he's safe. Before the trial ends. Before he sees the outcome, in the middle of a very unpleasant, uncomfortable situation, Jonah finds a reason to praise God. And that's a lesson for us, church. Here's the question. Is your gratitude conditional? Is your gratitude conditional? Do you wait to see what the outcome is before you praise God? I'll just speak for me. Yeah. 
too often. Yeah. God, if you answer the prayer the way I want you to, if this all pans out in a way that I think is acceptable and good, then I will praise you. That's not what Jonah does. Friend, can you find reason to praise God, whatever your circumstance may be? Are you on the lookout for grace, even when life is complicated? Even when it's uncertain. Let me assure you, it's there. Grace is there. It's all around you. The question is, do we have eyes to see it? Sometimes, sometimes grace comes in disguise. For Jonah, it's a big, nasty, stinky fish. It may not be what you expect. Let me ask this question. What's your fish, friend? What's your fish? What's the, what's the thing in your life that is God's grace to you, but you may not expect it to come in that form? Here's another takeaway for us. God saves, then sins. Now, now this should be familiar terrain for us. It's part of our vision. We, we just finished talking about this, but, but, but we can't talk about Jonah's story without talking about this. All throughout Scripture, this is the pattern. There's a sense of expe- expectation, expectancy here. There's a sense of purpose. At this point in the story, Jonah is beginning to see that maybe God isn't done with him yet. Aren't you glad that God doesn't write you off as quickly as you write yourself off. Jonah Jonah has run away from God. Okay, I guess God's done with me. I guess he's finished using me. He'll find somebody else. That's not the story. God doesn't write him off. Scholars tell us that this particular type of psalm assumes a listening audience. Now think about that. Jonah is by himself in the whale, in the, in the fish. There's nobody else with him there. Why is he writing something that assumes an audience? Because when I get out of this fish, I'm going to tell somebody. I'm going to let it be known what God has done for me. I'm going to let it be known how he has saved me. Jonah's story becomes an invitation for others to join him in praising God. And and we hear that in the final line of the song. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. He's sharing this. Church salvation is not a selfish thing. I've said that before. I'll say it again. God doesn't save us just for us. It's not just for us. He saves us and sends us. If you know Jesus, then you have a mission. You've got a Nineveh. 
And it's to let other people know the good news that we know. Your story, your experience becomes an invitation, just like Jonah's did, for them to find their own rescue. You are the evidence. Just think about that. Jonah, the fact that, that he gets out of this, little spoiler, he survives. Just the fact that he exits the whale and is walking and talking, he's, he's living, breathing proof to other people that this message is true. You, friend, are living and breathing proof that this message is true. Your story becomes an invitation. What begins as private gratitude leads to public praise. And the fact that you're here today listening to this story is evidence of that. One final stop for us today is this. You are a resurrection in waiting. You are a resurrection in waiting. Jonah chapter 2 verse 2. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. So this is another place where the English translation misses some things. The the choice of wording is very significant here. The word that's translated distress is a Hebrew term for labor. It's, it's, it's a picture of, of a narrow or confined place, like a baby being born. Okay, and then Jonah follows that up in the next line with this word deep, which literally means womb. Right, so, so put that together. Are you picking up a theme here? Jonah's tomb, what he thought was a tomb, becomes a womb. It becomes a place of rebirth. This this near-death experience, this descent to the grave, he sees in that new life. It's here that he finds it because of God's grace to him. And if I can make a connection here for you, maybe those dead places in your life, maybe those are a resurrection that's waiting to happen. Maybe the places that you write off, the places that you give up on, the places that you think are beyond the reach of redemption, Maybe those are a resurrection that's waiting to happen. Now that brings us back to the fish. Back up to chapter 1, verse 17. It says this, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We we tend to read this and think that the fish is punishment, don't we? Just, Just like the storm, that's punishment. Jonah, you ran away from God. This is what you get. Serves you right. That's not what the story says. That's not what the story says. Jonah disobeyed, but the fish was the rescue. The fish is the rescue. What looks like death turns out to be God's plan of salvation. Does that sound like anything else you know? I want to show you this. Matthew chapter 12 is one of a handful of places in the rest of the Bible that mentions Jonah. Jesus says this. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. Jesus really knew how to win over the crowds, didn't he? Y'all wicked. But none will be given it except the sign 
of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So to put this in its context, people are asking Jesus, how do we know you are who you say you are? You you claim that you are the Son of God. You claim that you are one with the Father. You claim that you are the promised Messiah sent to deliver us, sent to save us. How do we know that you're telling us the truth? Give us a sign. Jesus says, you want a sign? Here it is. Jonah. His story is my story. Three days in a fish, three days in a tomb. Not much later, Jesus is nailed to a cross. His body is laid in a tomb on a Friday, but he walks out of it on Sunday. What looked like death turned out to be God's plan of salvation. Here's the big idea, church. The point of the story is not Jonah being swallowed by a fish. The point is that God rescued him. The point of the story is not punishment or condemnation. The point of the story is salvation. The point of the story is not death, it's life. The God's vast, overwhelming, unexpected, unlikely grace comes to us in the places of desperation that we would never think to look to lead us back to where we belong. And if we will hear it, Jonah is a sign. Jonah points us to Jesus. He points us to Jesus that when we were running from God, when we were trying to escape him, when we were going down, God sent us a savior. Jonah was willing to be thrown overboard to save others' lives. But here's the thing. It was his own fault. He was thrown overboard for his own mistakes, his own rebellion, his own sin. Jesus was willing to go down to save us. But it wasn't his sin. It was ours. He didn't deserve death. We did, but he got death and we get life. Throw me overboard. I will go down for you so you can live. Your your ship is breaking apart. It's going to sink. This isn't going to end well for you. I will take the hit. You can live. if we will but believe and ask for it. Friend, today, if you're going down, Jesus is your way out. He's your way out. If, 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 if you are in a place of darkness, danger, despair, he's your rescue, he's your salvation, your rebirth, your new beginning. You, my friend, are a resurrection waiting to happen. Here's my question to you. What are you waiting for? 
What are you waiting for? Let me give you one final piece of advice. Stop waiting. Stop waiting. Rebirth happens here, Jonah. He's your way out.